I think it's very easy when somebody quits or you got to fire somebody or you don't make payroll or all these other things. It's very easy to not be grateful, but just the opportunity to to, to kind of set a limit uh, outside of just a ceiling in an entrepreneurial adventure is is something just by itself that we should be grateful for. Welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. I am your host, Mike Flynn. And if you're just joining us, I interview entrepreneurs and leaders who are using their platform to have a game-changing impact in the lives of others. And each guest is part of a series such as Leadership, The Champion's Mindset, or in this case, Happiness. Far too often, we allow happiness to take on a form of a mythical creature that constantly eludes our grasp. Here one minute and gone the next. And many in society have taught us to believe that we cannot choose to be happy because happiness is something that can only be earned. In other words, we often think of happiness in this way. I will be happy when I accomplish X, Y, or Z. I will be happy when I lose 15 pounds. I will be happy when my business is successful. But in reality, happiness is within our grasp in the here and now. And every day, we have the power and free will to choose to be happy no matter our life circumstance. In fact, Viktor Frankl says, no matter our life circumstance, the last human freedom no one can take from us is the ability to choose our attitude. That comes from his book, Man's Search for Meaning, which he wrote after being freed from a Nazi concentration camp where his wife, unborn child, mother, and father were killed. So yes, no matter our life circumstance, we have the free will to choose to be happy. Now my hope is that the guests coming up, the guests you will hear from these next few weeks, will breathe life into your ability to choose to be happy today, tomorrow, and every day. Doing so will give you and I an advantage in business, relationships, and life in general. I need to hear this just as much as the next person. So bust out your pens and paper, take some notes, and brace for impact. We are on a mission to answer the question, how does one find authentic joy beyond fleeting pleasure, money, or status? Does being successful equate to being happy? Can we approach life by combining ancient philosophy and the power of positive psychology? If we don't come to acknowledge transcendence or high, or a higher power, can we truly be as happy as we possibly can? Well, these questions are answered by serial entrepreneur and motivational author Doug Kistian in his debut book, A Parable, entitled Rethink Happy, An Entrepreneur's Journey Toward Authentic Joy. On today's episode, we talk about why today's guiding principles of self-esteem, good looks, assertiveness, autonomy, uniqueness, and wealth have to be replaced with wisdom, courage, love, justice, temperance, and transcendence, all things that are virtues that have been lost. We talk about insights and principles for anyone looking to experience authentic joy, how the power of a meditative prayer life can play a critical role in one's life. Bust out your pens and paper, take some notes, and brace for impact. Hey, Doug, welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. Very excited to talk with you today about rethinking happiness as an entrepreneur. I'm excited to be here, Mike. Thanks for having me. You are very welcome. Well, as we were discussing right before 
the show, I always kick off the conversation with the superpower question. And this question is designed to elicit the impact ultimately that you want to have if in an ideal world you could have any superpower you want. Or maybe you already possess a superpower, but let's go ahead and ask the question, which is, Doug, if you could pick any superpower, what would it be and how would you use it? You know, Mike, this is a, this is a tough one for me because honestly, I, I don't necessarily, uh, I don't want a superpower. I don't want something that puts me ahead or different uh, from that standpoint other than what I've already been given. I, and this is something I wouldn't have said 10 years ago, but today I'm so grateful for what I've been given that I don't I wouldn't want it. By the same token, there's uh, a constant challenge for me to be a better husband, to be a better father, to be a better, you know, employer and such that I think some kind of a virtue I would ask for help on, but but virtue without struggle is not really a virtue. So I can't really go there either. So um, <laughs> anyway, that's that's my maybe not the best answer, but that's the truth. That's interesting because what you're talking about ultimately is just is can be summed up in the word gratitude, uh, which is somewhat of a buzzword in in the entrepreneurial you know world these days. You hear words like authenticity and vulnerability and gratitude and and I think that these are all really important words when properly positioned and and used and executed. But how can entrepreneurs apply the the essence or the reality of being grateful for what they've been given and what they're doing in their daily lives? Well, I think the most important thing is to realize that we can be entrepreneurs, that we can stick our necks out, that can we, we can sort of roll the dice and we have enough uh, chutzpah or, or guts uh, and planning that allow us to, and freedom that allow us to be entrepreneurs, to choose that path. I think that's, uh, I mean, I think it's very easy when somebody quits or you got to fire somebody or you don't make payroll or all these other things, it's very easy to not be grateful, but just the opportunity to, to, to kind of set a limit uh, outside of just a ceiling in an entrepreneurial adventure is, is something just by itself that we should be grateful for. What do you do personally when you're struggling with being grateful? So that's a, that's a deep question. So I think uh, the first and foremost thing is uh, I think it's essential to have some kind of a faith uh, life of, of prayer. And that's one of the first things that I, I do is I, I go to a church or I get separation from what's happening right now. I recognize that it's my it's typically pride. It's typically selfishness. It's typically I'm thinking about myself. And two of the greatest causes for sadness are, number one, to, to be completely self-indulgent. And number two, to have lost a faith or connection to a transcendent power of God or uh, you know, a religion of some sort. Uh, those are the two main reasons. So typically, if I've lost touch with one of those two, it's, it, it uh, shows itself in a lack of gratitude. And so I need to get myself back on the right path. And then, uh, and then I get to be more toward the grateful person I should be. Where did you learn about those two two greatest sadnesses? I think that's a really interesting concept. Unpack that a little bit more. Sure, sure. So, I mean, a part of my journey was uh, a major failure in business, and bought a bought a business that was supposed to be doing fifty thousand a month in revenue. Uh, our first month, we did twenty six thousand. Uh, the people they had hired 
were the salaries were out of whack. The reputation of the company was was not good at all. And we had moved to a town, uh, my wife and I, with our four kids at the time, renting an apartment, thinking, gosh, this business can't be that hard. And uh, we ended up about $350,000 in debt. Uh, kept, you know, just kept getting credit and credit, trying to make this thing turn around. And it was at that point that I just got shaken to figure out that that life is more about my you know, more than just my achievement or my ego and that I'm not in total control and when I started researching what is uh, or what are the reasons for authentic joy and to be really happy I came across just some wonderful writings from ancient philosophy theology positive psychology and one of those writings such said that exact thing I just shared, which is the two reasons for sadness are typically self-indulgence or a lack of faith. Wow. Do you remember the name of the book that you drew that from? I think it's In Conversation with God by Fernandez, but I'm not 100% sure if that's true. Interesting. In your book, you you do talk about mentorship, and, and that's something that's a very important topic to me. I find that it's an important topic to all of my guests. So can you tell us a story about a mentor who has personally impacted you, your life, either as, a, as just a human being or, or as an entrepreneur or both? Sure. And, and first, uh, a confession. Uh, I, I, am, I have been notoriously terrible at asking for help. Uh, I think that I, uh, you know, can do it myself. I don't think I need any help. I don't think anybody's going to help me get where I want to go. I just think I've got the plan and I'm just going to go execute on it and no one's going to stop me. And it's a very short-sighted, egotistical uh, way to behave. And so I've learned through failures and through others' successes that it's just silly to not seek out a mentor for whatever it is, whether it's faith life, a spiritual director, whether it's business life, a, a mentor of some kind or multiple kinds, or whether it's family life, some, some dads and husbands or fathers or grandfathers that you admire, it just doesn't make any sense. So to not do this, but to be very specific to your question, uh, when I was writing uh, the book uh, that I wrote, I, I got in touch, I thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this the way it should be done. And so I did some research and found uh, Dan Miller, who wrote 48 Days to the Work You Love. I reached out via email, just kind of randomly, said, would you be my mentor for this book thing? I see you've written a lot of bestsellers. And uh, he responded and said, maybe. And so (laughs) (laughs) we got together. I ended up flying out to Nashville, meeting with him. and, And he moved forward with me and I moved forward with him. And he's absolutely one of the top reasons that I, I'm a published author today. Wow, that's that's amazing. And, and Dan Miller is obviously a prolific uh, author and, and thought leader as it relates to pursuing your purpose and, and finding something that you love doing and can find great joy in while having significant impact and significance. So thanks for sharing that. When you decided to be an entrepreneur, did you just think I, I'm going to be an entrepreneur and whatever I do is sure to succeed? <laughs> so it's, that's a, gosh, it gets me back way, 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 way back. So my grandfather is, uh, was the Phillips 66 guy in a town of 300. He had a pump literally in his front yard, which 
wouldn't go over so well now, but uh, (laughs) so he was an entrepreneur. I mean, he'd run and do his little gas runs, but he was in charge of his own destiny. And my dad was a CPA, saw these guys on the golf course in the middle of the afternoon and said, how in the heck are they on the golf course in the middle of the afternoon? And said, they're not billing time for hours. These guys all own their own businesses. So he bought a manufacturing business and then he had a franchise with the pizza chain and did a couple of different things when we were growing up. And I just, so it was a part of, it was in my blood. And even though I thought I was going to be actually a doctor of all things, I have a degree in biology pre-med, I still had that little bug in me to just take off and do something a little bit different. And so it was always in me and, and was it, was it, I can do it and, and never look back and, and no, no way am I going to fail? Honestly, yeah, I was naive enough, <laughs> uh, I think, or, or cocky enough to think that, uh, you know, I could touch anything and it would turn to gold. And, and obviously that's not quite the case. <laughs> you know, I think it's a powerful lesson though. I mean, we, we all face adversity and we all, we all, I believe that we're all created uh, to accomplish great things. We, we, uh, you and I share the same faith and we are created to do things beyond what we imagine we're capable of. And sometimes we let ourselves get carried away with that reality and, and make it all about ourselves instead of about the community and the, the people that we're trying to serve. I think that's extremely well said, Mike. And I, I have fallen into that danger uh, multiple times in my life. And, and I, again, I'm very grateful that I've kind of figured it out. But honestly, I can just sink right back into there very, very easily. So now that you've had that experience of, you know, kind of that ego-driven uh, reason for being an entrepreneur, why are you an entrepreneur today? How is your understanding of entrepreneurship and impact and purpose and opportunity all changed over the course of your journey? So I, I, I had a business, sold a business, and well, see, my first business was right out of college. And then uh, that one didn't work out all that well. Then I was kind of an entrepreneur in a couple of different organizations. Then I went out and kind of leapt out and did another entrepreneurial venture, sold that in 2012. And I've been doing consulting primarily uh, under uh, uh, another business. And then within the last year, I got the bug to go again. And I, I'm opening up a, a couple of fitness uh, locations here in the San Antonio area within the next uh, three to five years. And and the main reason, Mike, the thing that really makes me tick, and I, I love creating organizations or creating businesses that allow people to thrive. I love to find talented people that don't necessarily know how talented they can be and then uh, provide them and, and honestly serve them from what I know to help them uh, grow as, as business people, as entrepreneurs, as managers, as leaders, as salespeople, but also as just people. Uh, and I, I, I look at it as such a privilege and I'm super excited to be a part of an organization that brings on talented people. And, and how are you applying some of the lessons that you've learned along the way? Or maybe, maybe you can articulate what the lessons that you've learned and you're taking and now applying on these new ventures. Sure. So my, the consultancy, I, I use a program called Culture Index, and it assesses seven work-related traits. And so 
10 years ago, eight years ago, I, I was guessing when I was interviewing people on what really made them tick, what was their strength, what were their weaknesses, what were their blind spots. And now I have objective data that helps me understand those things. And so the, the first and foremost thing is, is and it's, it's in good to grade, it's in just about every management or leadership book, it's first who, then what. The absolute most important thing we can do as entrepreneurs, if we want to scale our companies, is be absolutely not ruthless, that's, that's, that's a mean or derogatory word, but, but just be very firm and intentional about who we bring into the organization and what we ask of them in terms of expectations and accountabilities for their particular role. And don't expect them to be anything other than who they are and then play to those strengths, double down, triple down, quadruple down on the strengths and find people who have strengths that are those people's weaknesses. And then all of a sudden, it's, it's not as much work. It's not as much challenge from a standpoint of accountability or, or helping people get motivated. You don't necessarily have to have these magical motivations if they're already doing something that that sort of makes their heart sing. That sort of is why they were wired and put on this planet to do. You put them in those roles and it's just fun to watch them go. I think that is a an important point and something as a as a business owner myself that I oftentimes forget about and 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 don't recognize the importance of having the right people on the bus, but also in the right seat on the bus. And, you know, we oftentimes try to fit a square peg in a round hole and it, and it causes all kinds of frustration, not only for, for the, the entrepreneur, but also the employee or, or, or even the client that you're dealing with, because you don't know who they are in their core and how to communicate optimally to them, which I think leads into kind of rethinking what happiness ultimately is for entrepreneurs in general, because this journey that we're all on called life is, is a constant evolution of discovery of self and uh, strengths and weaknesses and relationships. And one of the key tenets that you talk about in your book is the importance of living a life of virtue. And Today, we have this world where it's all about, you know, m- you know, the monetary success and attractiveness and being independent and, you know, all of that stuff that you hear on every other podcast out there in every magazine. And, and we, we see this, this facade. Uh, we see one side of that person or that success, and we don't see the other side, the struggle the adversity, the heartache, the broken relationships along the way. And a lot of that can be filled with virtue. So let's talk about, I don't think people know what virtue is today. (laughs) You know, frankly, it's such an old word. So why don't you kind of talk a little bit about why all of those things that I just talked about must be replaced with the virtues of the old times? Well, it's, it's, so, it's so fascinating to me, and it's, it's one of the first ahas I had when I was researching and thinking about maybe writing a book, is that I was studying Aristotle and Socrates, and then Augustine and Aquinas and Ben Franklin, and, and then I got into positive psychology with Dr. Martin Seligman. And when I read his book, one of his books, I think it was the, 
can't remember something on happiness, but at, anyway, specifically, he had done a, a study of all civilizations of all time, from modern times to ancient, and determined through this extensive study that there were six principles found in all human societies, every single one of them. And really, we can say six virtues instead of principles. But at any rate, what they are, are love, wisdom, temperance, courage, justice, and transcendence, or this concept of a higher power. And the interesting thing is, uh, Aristotle talked about this. Uh, ben Franklin identified 13 virtues, and he would, he would do them quarterly, one one virtue per week, per quarter. So he'd hit them all four times a year and try to improve upon these 13 virtues. And you can see all of these six principles, quote unquote, from Dr. Martin Seligman in his virtues as well. And so if we're not fundamentally aware that these virtues exist and we aren't uh, actively and intentionally trying to bring them in and challenge with them, challenge ourselves with getting better at these virtues, I think it's almost impossible to be as happy as we can be. Hmm. So there's six, right? Is that what you said, or, or seven? Correct. So I, I would say uh, seven, but but uh, and that's a little just just pulling out a little bit more of the of the theological uh, framework that that uh, Dr. Martin Seligman started with. But he says six, and you can extrapolate the seventh pretty easily. So let me ask you a question about how to approach this because I talk often with my my clients and people that I'm coaching about uh, the dangers of decision fatigue and you know how to overcome that because there's this current state, this current reality that you're in, and there's this desired state that you wanna be at, and there's a gigantic chasm between those two that unless you approach it the right way can be overwhelming. So you've just laid out seven amazing virtues and, and, and you know, ways to live by, but, you know, the, the people will oftentimes fail at living that because they're going to try to live them all at the same time. Got it. Mm-hmm. How can we approach that? How can we approach tackling these virtues and beginning to integrate them into our life on a more one-to-one kind of a basis or something that can scale? easily. Sure, sure. So uh, you, you started the question sort of referencing willpower or self-control and that we have a limited amount. And all of the studies show that that's true. It's kind of like a muscle. It can get fatigued. And so that's why, you know, Steve Jobs wore the same thing every day. I think Einstein did as well. And so it was one less decision they had to make. Um, so I encourage people that are trying to increase their willpower to make as many decisions about the next day, the night before as they possibly can. But ultimately, when you're looking at these virtues or or anything that you're trying to change or alter, uh, baby steps, uh, small wins are absolutely the best way to to begin. For for example, let's say for you know whatever reason you don't have the habit of brushing teeth, well, just brush one tooth. <laughs> if you're already there. You're already brushing one tooth. I mean, nobody's not going to stop at one tooth. It's the same thing as, okay, exercise. All right, well, in the morning, first thing, uh, have your your tennis shoes right next to the bed, or maybe not even have your tennis shoes right next to the bed, but do one air squat, one push-up, and one sit-up. That's it. Just every day, one of each. Well, once you begin that and you start that little habit, then you can go to the next thing. And it's the same with these virtues. As I, as I mentioned, Franklin, you can go do a search on that and you pull up his 13 and how he sort of approached 
hitting one per week. I think that's a pretty cool uh, strategy. Um, but there's other ways to do that where you just you take one or two and you say, all right, which one of these will be the, uh, of the biggest impact if I could improve it? And then you just say, okay, what's the small win that I can get on a daily basis and I can keep track of and then just kind of check or not check. I did it today or I didn't do it today and then go back and fight again tomorrow. Hmm. What's that for you? What's that small win that you're trying to get every day? Oh, humility. <laughs> humility. Oh, geez, you tackled, that's a huge win. <laughs> that's uh, not to think of myself first. That's uh, especially related to my wife and kids. Because uh, if I have left to com- my complete own devices, I will play the game I want to play with my kid. I will eat what I want to eat with. I will uh, do the cooking device. I will I'll just be in control of everything. And, and, uh, that is not a good husband to be or father to be around. Uh, and so it's very hard, though, um, to do it. But it's amazing the, the, the genuine smiles, the relationships that you can build if you can just get out of your own way, which I have a difficult time doing. So how do you put that into practice? So I, well, first thing, I, I, I honestly, I pray about it. I pray about it in the morning. I, I look at it again at noon and I look at it again at the end of the day. How did I do? And I give myself sort of a, uh, a little uh, rating, if you will, on how I did. Now, specifically, what I'll do when I go home, and I've got a seven-year-old. I've got five kids between seven and 19. The 19's at college. The others are all home. And I'll just go from one child and say, what do you want to do tonight? And, I, and I'll be a, a blank slate and say, what do you, you know, do you want to play a game? Do you want to do a board game? Do you want to go do a workout? My older kids like to do workouts. I say, what workout do you want to do today? And we'll kind of pick one out of a little list. And anyway, just try to try to say, all right, it's their time, not my time. I had my time working and do the things I like to do all day. Now it's their time where they want. Now, of course, you got to be a little bit balanced in that because you don't want them to be self-indulgent that whatever they say dad will do either. So there's this balance um, that actually, you know is kind of built in when you have five kids because <laughs> yeah. they, they can't always get dad. Uh, but yet there's got to be this also balance where it's, again, it's not about me. It's got to be about them and trying to do things that they enjoy. I have four kids also. So, I mean, I, I, uh, I can kind of relate. What know? are their ages between? Uh, they are, my, my oldest is, uh, 11 and the youngest is six. Good for you. Very nice. <laughs> Very nice. That is uh, never a dull moment at home for sure. No, definitely not. <laughs> you know, you, you talked just now about humility and and putting that into practice by making sacrifices. And you, you also talk about that in your book. And it, it made me think about Victor Frankel. Have you ever ah, read Man's Search for Meaning? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Cool. cool. So you know you know who I'm referencing. So indeed. One of the things that Victor Frankel studied was the time between a stimulus and a response. You know? And I thought that, you know, in in your parable and one of the, the tenets about making sacrifices, you know, we, we have this, this ability to when something happens to us, we do get to choose how we react to things. It's, you know, it's 10% what happens to us and 90% our response, you know, that, that whole axiom, if you will, or axiom or whatever the, the word is, <laughs> but what are your thoughts on, on how to approach, you know, managing our responses to things that, especially setbacks when they, when they come our way? Uh, I, I just think that's a beautiful 
a stance or beautiful topic because um, I think Sean Aker talks uh, says it's explanatory style. I've heard it as attribution. There's different terms for it, but it's essentially the the danger in assigning intentionality to other people's actions and or to what happens to us. Um, I've got a friend that's an entrepreneur and he's struggling through uh, a divorce and his wife is making errant uh, statements on Facebook and he says, she's out to get me. Well, maybe she's just trying to reconnect and trying to deal with the sorrow of the divorce as well in her own way. You know, I mean, in other words, whatever happens to us, we can make up any kind of story we want in terms of why. And the more forgiving or the more excuses, in a sense, that we give to the other individual, the more we are able to maintain our peace. Now, I know that there are injustices that are done to us and that, that need to have some, you know, some recompense or some kind of retribution. And, and, and that can be, in most cases, appropriate. But, but a lot of times, it's a, it's a rude checkout clerk or somebody cuts you off. And I remember an old uh, a spiritual director of mine said that, that anyone who cuts you off, they're just, they just need an extra prayer. It's God's way of saying, hey, have an extra prayer for that guy. He needs it or whatever. <laughs> and you p- take the picture. Was, let's say his son just uh, attempted suicide and he's in the emergency room. Uh, you could say my, you know, the wi- wife is on her way and, and she's going to have a baby and it's six weeks early. And, you know, yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many stories that you can build around the why of what, per- what the individual did to you that looks like an offense. That again, the, the goal is to, for us to maintain our peace and our joy. And, and the goal is not for us to be vindictive or figure out or, or say everybody's out to get us. And of course, I say all of these things and they're all words and, and doing them is a, an entirely different uh, challenge. And, and, and I have the same challenges as anybody else with it. But it really does work at, the better you get at it. I also think that it can apply to the, the way that we live our life in and addressing the the conundrum of the fact that it doesn't have to be an either or scenario. In other words, as we're approaching balancing our entrepreneurial journey with our responsibilities at home or with other relationships, happiness does not have to be an either or decision. It doesn't have to be, I can only be happy if I do the entrepreneurial thing, but I'm I'm gonna have to sacrifice my family or my other relationships. It doesn't have to be either or. It can be both and. And and it's one of the things that you 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 kind of address in the book. And I'd love for you to unpack that a little bit more. Yeah. So I, I took uh I, I graduated from Gonzaga with a servant leadership certificate. And there was a author, I think it was Palmer. That was the first time I've I'd ever read either or versus both and and it and it struck me as it as it did just now again with you saying it, and I think I might even mention something of that nature in the book. But but that it it, it isn't it isn't a, a, a zero sum you know game. I mean it it's about taking everything and integrating everything that happens and and trying to figure out uh, the why. Uh, one of my mentors said, "There's no such thing, or there's only winning and learning." there's no winning and losing. There's only winning and learning. Again, a both end. How can we take anything that happens to us and and turn it into a a benefit? At the time, it seems terrible. It it seems like, gosh, nothing worse could have happened to me than what happened to me today or, or something along those lines. But 
invariably, I don't know anyone who doesn't look back and the perspective might have to be really distant. It might have to be five years. It may have to be three years. It maybe have to have to be a week. But I don't know anybody who doesn't look back and go, you know what? That was a terrible time, but I'm a better person today because of it. It's just a matter of how can I learn the lessons today or faster uh, so we can move on from the, you know, what appears to be negative and, and turn it into positive sooner. That's powerful. If there's one thing that you want people to remember from our conversation today, what would it be? Honestly, that that everyone, I don't care what stage you're at, uh, where you're at in your entrepreneurial journey, uh, from a happiness standpoint, from a joyful standpoint, just committing to small changes uh, can lead to big results. That's powerful. Well, I wanted to say thank you for being on the show today, sharing your story. I appreciate what you're doing and the impact that you're having with this book. And I wish this book great success. And I know that's going to have a tremendously positive impact on my listeners, as well as those who read it. Uh, Mike, hey, you're one of the good guys. And I am absolutely privileged to be on the show. Thank you so much for inviting me. You're very welcome. Don't forget about the awesome gifts I have for you, the Clarity of Purpose Scorecard and the Six Bridges to Personal Growth and Well-Being. Head over to theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash scorecard and download them today. I'm thrilled to give them to you and I want to hear your feedback. Doug, thank you for teaching us and reminding us about the importance of living a life of virtue. We often focus on the hustle, the monetary success, the aesthetics, and the independence while trying to hide the adversity, the struggle, or the heartache we experienced along the way. And this conversation today about rethinking happiness was a critical one for me and I know for all of the listeners. If you missed any of the key points, we've got you covered over at theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash 56 for all the key points and highlights of our conversation. And while you're there, be sure to check out the Lawton Marketing Group and the Podcast Masters. We could not do this show without them. Until next time, go make an impact.